Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm the host that's supposed to bring balance back to the force. I'm Javi. And uh, this is our second episode in our Star Wars review series. And uh, we are on episode two. Welcome back. We're back here. We're at reviewing Attack of the Clones. So, let's get started. What was your experience with Star Wars? Episode two. So, Star Wars episode two... Is actually my favorite of the three prequels. I, you know, wasn't crazy about episode one. I thought it was okay. Then the internet also continued to tell me that it was like the worst movie ever. And there was a lot of people who used the phrase, raped my childhood. With Jesus! Referring to George Lucas. Holy fucking shit! <laughs> Do you think ever at any point the internet might take things a little too far? The internet still takes things what? very far. I think it's not far enough. You know that there's a petition out there that people are bitching about how season 8 of Game of Thrones is going? Oh my so god. So there is a petition that's got thousands of signatures on it where people literally want someone else to come in and rewrite episode the 8th season of Game of Thrones. Okay, like, fucking side note. Like, people understand George R.R. R. Martin went to the showrunners and was like, This is the ending of my magnum opus. Fucking film it, you turds. <laughs> Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm just waiting for it to end so I can finally watch it. Once the hype dies, that's when Javi jumps on. Fantastic. Oh, God. Anyway, back to George Lucas raping everyone's childhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'll, I'll talk about it at the end of the series, but I think the, that the original trilogy specifically makes a very fair argument as to why sometimes creators are their own worst enemies. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't say that George Lucas didn't listen to criticism of episode one because he does several what I would call attempts at course correction here. A little bit, yeah. One of them is recasting Anakin Skywalker. Um, At least that was an attempt to do something different. Mm. Whether or not it's successful, I will bring it up during the series, (laughs) the review here. But um, he did that. And then there's also a very annoying character that basically overshadowed episode one that is hardly in this movie at all yeah padme (laughs) (laughs) fuck you natalie portman uh so what was your experience with episode two honestly i can't tell you how i watched it i just remember watching it (laughs) and it's like a weird mandela effect thing where i'm like did that actually happen or did i imagine that happening I watched this movie in theaters twice. Holy shit, you like this movie. I don't know if I... Well, as a kid. Well, as younger you. Because this is what? Two years removed from episode one. Yeah. And like you said, to their credit... Well, I was older now. So you can actually understand it. There wasn't as... You... Well, there wasn't as many goofy, cringy moments that were aimed at you. Much like Anakin in episode one, where Mm -hmm. he was too young to, you know, really be on girls... By the time episode two came out, <laughs> I watched that one with a lady friend. Ooh. <laughs> Did you do the old hole at the bottom of the popcorn trick? It's a gross thing to say. Oh, you totally tried You're it. You're so fucking disgusting. You fucking tried it, you pervy old man. <laughs> I was like 13. <laughs> oh, jeez. I, I should have cut the hole before I put the popcorn in. <laughs> oh, God, butter's everywhere. <laughs> This is gross. You're welcome. You fucking ruined my entire story. (laughs) Would you say I destroyed your childhood, much like George Lucas? (laughs) You're the George Lucas of my childhood. (laughs) Damn straight. But you know, I can't really don't remember. I just remember watching it. And I think my sister took me, because again, my sister got to check before if she wants her name out there. But my sister was the one that really took me to go see nerd shit. So, I think it was her and her her boyfriend at the time that they took me, and I, all I remember is it was cool, because there was cool lightsaber fights. But yeah, like you said, they do walk back a lot of dumb shit from the first one here. Oh, God. So, two episodes in. Or about to be two episodes in. How are you feeling about the series so far? About the Do We Like Star Wars? 
You know what I'm discovering with these first two episodes that we've watched? What? I don't like the prequel series as much as I used to think I did. You know what? I'm <laughs> right there with you. I remember a whole lot more nostalgia for these than I do upon watching them as an almost 30-year-old man. Like, okay, so when Force Awakens was coming out, and leading, so leading up to Force Awakens, leading up to Rogue One, and leading up to Last Jedi... I did. A, I had a tradition going where I would marathon every other Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. and I swear to God, the one we're talking about this week, I remember it being my favorite one every single time I marathon these. Mm-hmm. And this time, now that I'm watching it, it does not feel like it has any of the weight that it's supposed to have. And I think mostly because <clears throat> I think the newer movies have captured a they've captured much higher stakes than this feels like it has and that's what's weird is as we talk about this movie this is supposed to have for all intents and purposes it's 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 supposed to have really high stakes this the the stakes are going to be delicious with how high they are you know but it's like yeah it, it felt I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to give away too much in the first five minutes because I don't want people to, like, clock out of our episode. Well, it's just supposed to be the beginning of the Clone Wars, right? Yeah. In Star Wars lore. And the Clone Wars are supposed to be this really cool event. And I remember Obi-Wan mentioned it in New Hope. And you don't know what that means. And you're like, what the fuck? Did they clone a bunch of Jedi and they were fighting each other? Like, it leaves you to think so much that could happen. And then this is finally supposed to give context to what that line was about. And I don't know. I would say I w- it's a little underwhelming compared to what you think, right? Yeah. So the opening crawl starts explaining that, you know, 10 years after episode one, the Trade Federation has pretty much grabbed a bunch of star systems and they are creating a separatist movement from the rest of the Galactic uh, Republic, I think. I think they're a republic. God damn it. I never realized I had to study, like, government just to watch the goddamn Star Wars series. Well, it's not like the governments in this are, like, reflective of actual governments. Yeah, there's Like, this movie goes into the fucking weird territory where Padme now, who was Queen Amidala, like, all last episode. Yeah, queens are elected. Yeah. And it's not a hierarchical, (laughs) like, passed on title. That was fucking weird. Yeah. It's like what you. It, it looks like the only thing that the queen really gets to do is sit on a throne and wear kabuki makeup and <laughs> pretend to make decisions and have stupid ass haircuts. Because I don't even think they're the real person in charge, right? Like, I mean, well, Senator Senator Amidala felt a lot more important than the queen of Naboo at this point. So this is what my understanding of it. Is that because this entire series is supposed to be a space opera, your senators are the ones in charge of the, you know, outside of what goes on on your home planet. And they're the ones in charge of, like, the relations between these planets, especially in in regards to the Republic. While your kings and queens are your figureheads that are in charge of the infrastructure and everything on the planet itself. So, for all intents and purposes, though... You're right, the senator is way more important because especially right now with the separatist movement going on, you know, there, there there's going to be civil war. And that's essentially the big take-home message of the opening crawl is that there's threatening the the separatists are threatening civil war and the Jedi's the Jedi Council which has been a peacekeeping organization for thousands and thousands of years is not nearly equipped enough to be able to keep a civil war from ripping the republic apart. So Amidala, oh I'm sorry, go ahead. These are stakes that feel like they should be much higher. Yeah. And everything feels like it should be much more important. And I think part of the problem that like my wife who was watching it with me and I really pointed out and just was so glaringly obvious to me for the first time in a long time is the fact that this entire movie looks like it was shot in front of a green screen with CGI backgrounds. Mm Mm-hmm takes away so much tactile reality from it. Yep. And that I think that is what makes it harder for me to buy it at all. Because mm-hmm. for all the criticisms of the new Disney series, and there's a lot of it, at least they're making an effort <clears throat> to go to a style 
specifically Rogue One, mm-hmm. to go to a style that feels authentic to Star Wars. I mean, Rogue One not only feels authentic to Star Wars, Rogue One is like, you know, it's based in reality in like our world, you know? Like, they, like I remember, I don't remember if you told me or someone told me that a lot of like, a lot of like the aesthetic was captured from like 1940s, the 1950s, like Pacific Theater, well, specifically in the 40s. Uh, like the Pacific Theater combat that was going on in World War Two, and like that was why a lot of the guys or a lot of the soldiers looked the way they did, or mm-hmm. why a lot of the shots were shot in a similar way of like a World War Two war movie, you know? Yeah. Like um, this, this, this feels even more like what I talked about last week when I talked about uh, how this was just like space version of C-SPAN. Yeah, this <laughs> feels super like that. Yeah, and it's it feels super hard. So. Uh, the the actual action opens up. Actual action. Put down a t-shirt. But uh, the action of the film starts with uh, the ship, this, this uh, Imperial ship flying down into, uh, I think, Coruscant? Yes. And uh, who appears to be the queen? Yes. Is uh, coming down from the ship when suddenly an explosion, t- you know, explosion... Uh, you know, there's like a terrorist explosion on the on the ship, killing the Queen of Naboo as well as her royal guard. Um, and Padme's there because the reason why she's coming to Coruscant is so that she can talk to the rest of the senators into creating like a coalition army to be able to fight back in case it ever gets to civil war, right? Mm-hmm. So for this reason, she's got a target on her back and. Uh, with an assassination attempt on the on the queen being successful, the Jedi Council or the Jedi Order takes on the responsibility of protecting Padme, who is now the Republic's best chance of maintaining order. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, we get introduced to a young, strapping Anakin Skywalker. Who is now played by an actor by the name of Hayden Christensen, uh, who has become infamous because of this role. And I remember thinking he wasn't as bad as other people made him out to be. Oh no, he's he he was holy bad. mother of fucking shit. He was bad. All the scenes where he's <laughs> supposed to give like long like these monologues about the sand one is is a joke, and I can't even like. I can't even get through it because it just there's nothing about it that I can take seriously. But just the moments where he's supposed to be like simply like talking about how Obi Wan doesn't have any doesn't trust him, you know, like he just comes off like a robot, right? Like it mm-hmm. is there's he is very clearly reading lines. He is very clearly going to the Tommy Wiseau school of acting. <laughs> and I you know, unfortunately it's just the role of Anakin Skywalker, the role of Darth Vader for this franchise, like, they needed to have picked someone better than this. And I get it. You want to well, I don't know how old Hayden Christensen was at the time of filming, but I get it. You want to get somebody youthful. You want to get someone that's like 18. You know, you're trying to set up someone that would be the age of what Anakin is supposed to be, right? But God damn it, you needed somebody with a little bit more experience. Because at least at this point, and I could be completely, like, I could be completely ignorant of this guy's total, like, career and know where, what he did after. I mean, before, but I can tell you some of the movies he did after were kind of trash, you know? Like, and also, the the writing did not help him at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt the writing really made Anakin come off like a whiny puss, like, for most of the movie. And like it would they they were trying really hard to make him seem really fucking edgy a lot of the time and try to and I get it, you know, you're you're trying you're you're teasing at what this character is gonna be. You know what he's you know what Aiden Christensen feels like in this movie? What? He feels like the human version of two thousands new metal. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, why why is like oh why is Nickelback playing in my head now? Nickelback, puddle of mud, saliva. Oh. <laughs> like he is literally all of these things. 
to where you might have thought that this is what drama or something dramatic should have been like in the early 2000s. Papa Roach. Sorry. <laughs> I'm still thinking of new metal. Yeah, like it's like it's like one of those things that you thought was cool when you were younger. And now you look at it as an adult and you just realize how stupid you were. Oh my god. It. If you guys ever get a chance, um, also kind of a side note, if you go on to Reddit, go on to R Cringetopia, and when you get past like r- the really weird like Topia <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> go on to R Cringetopia and you get to see some of the those, like really cringy posts. Where it'll be like, or they'll put like, post some pictures with, with people with those t-shirts that'll have like Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. And it has like, you know, I have a place in hell. It's called a throne. And it's like, that sounds really cool when you're 13, but holy shit, when you're almost 30, you're just like, can't help but fucking cringe so hard. You want to hear some of the other people that were in the running for the role of Anakin Skywalker? Is it going to infuriate me? I don't know. Then Yes. Ryan Philippe. Holy shit, that's already better! You picked the wrong one! Paul Walker. <gasps> You're telling me Brian from Fast and the Furious, the best movie, Fast Too Fast Too Furious, could have been Anakin Skywalker? Christian Bale. Holy shit, are you serious? James Vanderbeek. The Beak? <laughs> He's probably a little bit too old for this role at this point. Nah, fuck him. He can do anything. No, 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 he no, wants. no. This next actor is probably uh, a little bit too old for the role. Leonardo DiCaprio. Holy shit! Which at this point, you know, Leo would have been like this would have been the the movie that he would have made instead of Gangs of New York. So Ooh, probably he made a right choice. He made, he made a made better right career choice. choice for himself. Yeah, because that's what started his love affair with uh, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, uh, Chris Klein. Holy shit, dude. And finally, Heath Ledger. And we ended up in the darkest <laughs> timeline where hating Christensen is our goddamn Darth Vader. If you well, if you believe IMDB, it says that uh the in the end, Hayden Christensen got the part primarily because he and Natalie Portman looked good together. <laughs> Meanwhile, cuts to Natalie Borton just being skeeved out because he looks like he smells like, I don't know, fucking Axe body spray and wet hamburgers or some shit. <laughs> so that is what we could have had instead of what we got here. Hey, Natalie, I wrote you a poem. <laughs> <laughs> I brought my guitar. I'm going to play Wonderwall. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, man. I want to make my own Star Wars <laughs> movies now. So I'll just start writing this Star Wars fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's more about what's going on behind the scenes and how much I hate hating Christensen. So, uh, Ewan McGregor's back. Thank God. As uh, Obi-Wan. He's and a very likable yeah. Obi-Wan. <laughs> and I feel like they, they allow him... He's a star. He's a bit of a contrast to what they did with Liam Neeson in the last movie, where Neeson had to be the straight man a lot. Yeah, and uh, I think you get more, if nothing else, you do get the feeling between Christensen and and McGregor that they're both like that. They have a big brother, little brother relationship. Yeah, they're totally broing it up, and then like. It's not the it's not the same relationship that Qui Gon and Obi Wan had, where they he like he needed to know his place, yeah. and he couldn't question Qui Gon. There was plenty of times where where uh, Anakin questions Obi Wan, and he looks at him like, "Bitch, are you serious?" <laughs> well, it's funny because if I'm looking at it, I think where where the casting that they ended up with does make sense is in situations like this, mm-hmm. because I just. As much as I love the other actors that we would have had, I w- I Keith Ledger and Christian Bale would feel more like contemporaries mm-hmm. to Obi Wan. So you needed somebody who was younger. Yeah, but it's just yeah they should have kept looking, and that's why it makes it feel more authentic when Ewan McGregor would berate him because I'm pretty sure he was berating him in real life because <laughs> hating Christian looks like shit anyway. <laughs> Um, so, and it's funny too, cause like I, when I watch the amazing Spider-Man movies, 
That's what I get from Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. But he's just too old to be in that, like, gawky... No, he just... He he feels... Like, when I watched him as Spider-Man, I always got the feeling that he was like Hayden Christensen. Not oh, the right guy for this part. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And they tried to make it work, and it just didn't. Like, close, but no cigar. Yeah. No dice. So. We're in Coruscant. We're in Coruscant. Where Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan have to come to protect Padme. And he's giving Padme fuck me eyes right from the beginning. And she is super turned away. Which is not... Okay. I mean, you don't want to give any attention to women that are not interested in you at all. But let's not forget that in the last movie, she wanted to fuck an an eight-year-old boy. Yep. She gave him some <laughs> really hard bedroom eyes. So she was like, she was the one creeping the fuck out of him in the last movie. So he had to get older and return the favor to her. And I love, and I, I forget if it's in Coruscant or if it's later in the movie, that part where she's like, don't look at me like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Or no, she says, don't look at me like that. And he goes, why? <laughs> Instead of being like, I'm sorry. He goes, why? And then she goes, it makes me uncomfortable. Leers harder. <laughs> Remember, ladies, <laughs> nothing says romance like the guy ignoring your wishes. <laughs> So, right off the bat, we're in Coruscant. Uh, our two space cops, because that's pretty much any time I see these guys, it feels like they're just buddy copping it in well, space, Well, this movie right? really is space cops. Now. Right? Like, they are... They, the, I think the one thing that I do still love about episode two is they're fucking up front about the fact that this is space cops movie now. <laughs> um, the first scene where they have to thwart the assassination attempt on uh, Padme's life, mm-hmm. they are chasing down the attempted assassin, which, you know... That scene still grosses me out. The, the worms fucking, that are supposed yeah. to like eat her from the inside. They're like weird centipedes. They're supposed <laughs> to go up her vajayjay and eat her out from the... Oh, what phrasing? <laughs> They're supposed to kill her by eating her from the inside out. And then it's like... And then like when Anakin runs in and like kills him and they just like plop on the ground like flaccid dogs. I was like, ew! <laughs> there's a metaphor in there somewhere. Yep. Mm, there's gotta be. <laughs> but I, what I do love about this is... Coruscant at night looks awesome. Totally. <laughs> I agree. Like, the light, the lighting, and just kind of the city gives me a lot of... And I, I feel bad because I keep going back to Blade Runner. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This is it. Blade, yeah. Yeah, Blade, Blade Runner vibes is what's all over this. It's yeah. got... They've got the Asian got the, influence. The uh, flying cars. Electronic signs. The flying cars. Um, the only thing is, this is what Blade Runner would look like. If you were playing it as a PlayStation 2 game. Yeah. Yeah, the the CGI has not aged well. No. I mean, it wasn't great when it came out, mm-hmm. but it's like, fuck. When you watch it now, you were like, yeah, it was a bad idea to mm-hmm. film this all in, in artificial backgrounds. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> but I get it. Like, uh, a scene like this is hard not to, you know? Like, especially since this one is a high chase... I'm sorry, high-speed speeder chase throughout a a city, you can't pull off this scene without having some sort of CGI, or it'd be very CGI-heavy. So I get it. Luckily, the action kind of makes up for it, and I'm able to kind of sit through it. They have a lot of of cool scenes. Um, And, you know, they have that... that, um... Also, this scene gave birth to one of my favorite gifts, which is of Ewan McGregor, like... In the speeder, and then like smiling while there's explosions in the background. <laughs> I wish I could find that outtake. We should probably post it on Facebook, but I'm pretty sure everyone knows what I'm talking about. You and McGregor also looks like Space Jesus now. Oh, fuck yeah. I'm all for it. He is full Space Jesus at this point. Oh, God. So they fight. So they eventually catch up to the, uh, to the bounty hunter, or I'm sorry, the assassin, right? After the assassin sneaks into a club and we find out she's a changeling so she can actually change her appearance. Using the force, uh, Obi-Wan is able to figure out that she's right behind him and right before she can kill him, cuts her arm off, which has to be foreshadowing for episode uh, four. Mm-hmm. And they're managed to take her outside and before she can reveal who hired her to kill Padme she gets killed she gets killed by a poison dart and we see a guy a jetpacky boy fly away off into the distance yes and that introduces one of the coolest 
not cool because he wasn't really in the movie for too long characters and Django Fett. Right. With Django Fett, who was supposed to be the father of Boba Fett. Because remember, everything in the Star Wars universe connects into each Another other. Another problem I have <laughs> is that we're doing this now, right? Like, yeah. we are continuing to do this where everything is revolving around the same few people. You got R2 and fucking C-3PO all over this movie. And it's just like, fuck. Like, is this universe not any bigger than this right now? <laughs> like... How are you in just a giant city planet and it still feels like you have the same six people that it's revolving around? And it's like these same six people are the only ones doing anything in the entire universe. You know, like they're the only ones that are doing anything to stop this civil war or, or start the civil war. Like, I do so like that in weird. the Senate scene we get introduced to Bail Organa who is supposed to be the adoptive parent of Leia. Mm. And he's played by Jimmy Smith. So... Leia was raised by space Mexicans. <laughs> well, she was. <laughs> Those goddamn space Mexicans. This is why I'm joining Trump's space force. <laughs> Cuts to fucking Starship Troopers-esque commercials. <laughs> Ask me for more. <laughs> So, this is where the movie splits off into the sub-stories, right? Yep. Which is an interesting way to go about it, right? You're, mm -hmm. you, um, ideally, you want to keep Obi-Wan and Anakin together because Anakin has like a raging teenage boner for Padme. <laughs> oh, fuck you, dad. Not, not to mention he hates Obi-Wan, so he's always like, fuck you, dad. You're always ruining my life. And of course, because, uh, you know, the soon-to-be Emperor, uh, Palpatine, mm -hmm. uh, who... Decides to make this a possibility by separating them because it's his idea to have Anakin shadow Padme and allow Obi-Wan to go on his own, he which is approved by the Jedi Council. But, you know, this is a moment where you can see him kind of setting the pieces in motion because I think it's pretty obvious that Anakin has uh, got all sorts of boy feelings for her. And, like, enough that Obi-Wan even has to constantly remind him, hey, man. Put it back in your pants, okay? See, come on, slugger. <laughs> you gotta chill out. So at that point, when they get separated, um, Obi Wan is actually following up a lead as he investigates, and they have that cool like map room, right? He goes in with uh, Yoda, who's training all these Padawan, and he's trying to find a um, a missing star system that's not in the map. And when he talks to one of the 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 people that keeps records, they say that. He, nah, if it's if it's not there, it doesn't exist. And Obi-Wan's like, this is bullshit, and I know it. So he talks to Yoda and the Padawan, and the Padawan confirm what, um, what uh, Obi-Wan thought, that, and also Yoda, that there is a portion missing there. So he ends up finding out that the, the, the portion of the space system that's missing is called Kamino. Yeah. So he flies there. Well, under before that, he finds out about Camino from that awesome scene where he goes into the diner. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Dex. I feel like an asshole. <laughs> so he ends up following up one of his friends. Obi-Wan follows up with one of his friends named Dex who runs a diner. Dex is a weird four-armed, like, greasy, like, short-order fry cook, which is really cool. It's out of place in the Star Wars universe, but yeah. I loved him. This feels absolutely not like anything in Star Wars. But this is the then this is why I say space cop. This is the detective following up with his informant and finding out more about his case, right? Also to make it even more blatant that this is that this movie is cribbing off of Blade Runner, they mentioned the Tyrell system. Mmm. Damn, dude! Like that, that, that. I think that's why I like Obi Wan's arc in this movie so much because it's less space opera and more space like crime, <laughs> space detective. <laughs> so, with the help of Dex, he finds out that the missing uh, space system is called Camino. So he flies to the planet, which is like a weird ocean planet. Really fucking like, as you know from our previous episode, I'm afraid of giant bodies of water. <laughs> So thanks to my thalassophobia, I hate Camino right off the bat. 
But what he ends up finding out, Obi-Wan, or what Obi-Wan ends up finding out is that there are people, I forgot what their race is called, because I remember they just refer to them as cloners. And they're essentially like geneticists, geneticists and scientists that create clones, as their name uh, suggests. And that they were ordered by a Jedi Knight 10 years ago. I forget what the Jedi Knight's name is. Not Oh, sifo There we go. Who's he, supposed to be a kind of mentor to Obi-Wan. Yeah, so sifo orders the cloners to create a clone army in case the Republic were ever to need it. A little bit too... Hmm, like, you know, like a little bit too... Uh, Deus Ex Machina, in my opinion. This is one of those things where when I originally watched it as a younger person... I did you, not pick you do not think any of it. this up. I didn't really pay attention to what was going on here. Um, but that could have also been because I was in a movie theater with a girl. And yeah, he was like, God damn, the butter's so warm. It's <laughs> getting everywhere. You know my wife might listen to this, you fucking pig. <laughs> I know, you're the disgusting one. You should go back in time and talk to 12-year-old you. <laughs> Take the fucking time pin particles and go back in time and talk to yourself, you pervert. Anyway, I'm sorry. I shouldn't talk shit about little you. As we go, or... It was weird. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the fact that sifo was just like 10 years ago. Yeah, make this clone army for me. And everyone just kind of accepts that. Like, no one would think of having that. No one has enough forethought to be like, create an entire army for me. Because I'm going to need them in 10 years. You know? And... But, you know, we go along with it. So, the cloners tell Obi-Wan that they actually get the genetic template from a bounty hunter by the name of Jango Fett. So, when they ask for his compensation, they tell him, yes, he got paid. But one of the things he did ask for was for one clone that was not... um, What's the word I'm looking for? It was not modified in any way. So, the thing about the clones is they're all trained, essentially, from birth to be child soldiers... And they take perfect orders, or, you know, they're a perfect soldier, they take orders, they never question it, and they are artificially, their age is artificially accelerated so that they can be in fighting form faster. They are also proto-stormtroopers. Totally. When you look at the mask and everything, that's why I was, like, really juiced when I, when I first saw this movie. I was like, oh, we could see where the stormtroopers come from, right? And I thought that was really cool. Is this satisfying to you, this explanation of what these stormtroopers are supposed to be? Clones? Yeah, I guess. It's satisfying to you? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you mean but in the context of like... Uh, the series. Oh, no. At the time when I was a kid, yeah, that was satisfying. But then as an adult, when I found out there was a fan theory that what the Clone Wars was was that there was one all-powerful force user and that the Sith were the evil clones and the Jedi were the good clones. And there was a fight between all these massive armies of clones of just, like, fucking lightsaber fights everywhere. I was super mad because I wanted that. Because <laughs> that sounds way more radical than fucking, you know, weird Tongan guys in white suits. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure. But I don't think he's Tongan. I don't know what he is. <laughs> but Jango Fett requests one... Un- unmodified clone so that he can raise his son. And that's Boba Fett, who we're going to see you know, later on in the series. Because again, everything is connected. So, they had this really tense scene where Obi-Wan is like talking to Jango and trying to get more information from him, but he's not giving up anything. And then, you know, he tells Boba in another language to go do something. And when he comes back, on his way back, he closes the door, and we see uh, Jango Fett's battle armor, mm-hmm. and which would confirm him as the person that killed the assassin in Coruscant. And ne- sensing that the Jedi knows, uh, Jango tells Boba they prepped the Slave One ship, and they're leaving. They're getting the fuck out of Kamino. Meanwhile, that leads to a cool kung fu fight between Obi-Wan and Jango, where we get to see that a bounty hunter, the, the Mandalorians are, you know, they're equipped and they're trained to be able to fight a Jedi one-on-one. And he holds his own pretty well. 
They manage to escape Kamino, and right after, Obi-Wan is right behind them, chasing them into space. They end up getting into a dogfight in the middle of a asteroid belt. Jango manages to escape with Boba, and they go to a planet called Geonosis. Geonosis? And Obi-Wan hides in the asteroid belt long enough to see that the slave one gets away, so he chases after it, lands on Geonosis, and sends a... A distress signal to Naboo, yes. because that's where that's where uh, Obi Wan. I'm sorry, Obi Wan. That's where Anakin has been. And that's where so, Anakin and Padme so, are supposed to be, but they're yeah. not. Well, while this, all while Obi Wan has gone on his own little sub adventure, the other part of this movie is the relationship and story of Anakin and Padme together. Oh yeah, I love how creepy <laughs> this gets. Well, it's funny because the first thing that they do when they get to Naboo is uh, they consult with the queen, and in this scene, there is like a certain part of it where you know it, it's there's a tense, argumentative nature between Padme and uh, Anakin. To where I, you know what I always remember this movie being? I always remember this movie being all about the love story between Anakin and Padme. And I, rem- I can see how when you were a kid, that's and what I you remember focus it, on. yeah, and I remember it being like actually something that I found engrossing. There's nothing about this that feels that loving at all. I can imagine a little twelve-year-old angel there <laughs> trying to trying to put the moves on his dad, be like, "Oh yeah, aren't they so romantic?" <laughs> and then, meanwhile, it like cuts to Anakin on screen. I fucking hate Obi Wan, man. <laughs> well, this is where when he's on Naboo, uh, there's a lot of really nice scenes of the CG. This is probably the only time I actually like the CGI backgrounds mm-hmm. is with how they make Naboo look. Like it looks a lot nicer than it did in Episode One. When there's, you mean it didn't look like just flat green everywhere? <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, like, and this, like, hidden hideaway home that they're in is just beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. Even though, again, it feels very artificial and it's hard to really buy into the reality of what's happening, it still looks really great. Um, there's awkward scenes of Anakin, like, surfing on the CGI animal. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> And then he eats shit, <laughs> and like it, it just looks so awkward when he's like, because you can tell it's CGI. And then when he eats shit, it has to like roll over, and you're just like, that did not look good. Yeah, it reminds me of when we get to uh, New Hope, uh, that scene uh, where they CGI'd in uh, Jabba the Hut in Episode Four. Oh my god! And they have like, and they have that scene of him with Obi with with Han Solo. Like, it really does give you those kinds of vibes. And if if and when we when we watch that scene, when mm-hmm. we watch Episode Four, you're gonna see it. You know, you're gonna point it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, if I remember correctly, they're in Naboo, but little bitch boy Anakin keeps having these terrible nightmares yeah he's having like these awful nightmares of how his mom is suffering so um they leave Naboo to go to Tatooine after he like has kissed Padme where they talk about how maybe they could you know run away together in secret or maybe they can keep their relationship a secret like Mm -hmm. essentially the idea of becoming a Jedi is you're essentially becoming like a monk or a Catholic priest in that you're supposed to be someone who's go with monk go with monk (laughs) yeah I'll go with monk (laughs) but you're supposed to be someone who's basically giving up sex and love right you're giving up all that cool shit for a sick ass (laughs) laser sword baby (laughs) So no one could ever have it all. And, uh, Anakin, what do you mean to have a laser sword? <laughs> Fuck you. And Anakin right away seems like someone who really wants to have it all. Um, they're planting the seeds of him being an evil person because they talk about the different kinds of government you that, say, that exists. You say planting seeds. I say throwing boulders in the garden. <laughs> Same shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean when I say this. I know that this has like... The subtlety of a freight train coming at you. <laughs> oh my god! But you know, they, it, it's it's this movie's logic, and it's the way it's gonna go. Um, so of course, Anakin disobeys everything and decides to go to Tatooine, and is essentially gonna go by himself. But Padme decides to go with him, mm-hmm. um, and they go to see Watto, who oh. is now much older. 
And when Anakin tries to see where his mother is, Watto reveals to her that reveals to him that she has been sold to another slave master. You know, when Watto had the hat, it really felt like they doubled down on the whole like <laughs> offensive Jewish caricature. Yeah, it sure did. I wonder how Steven Spielberg felt about this when he watched it. He just has the 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 <laughs> cuts to the meme of the monkey just being like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> so uh, they go to the person who has basically bought her out of slavery. Who you know, this man has fallen in love with her, and he marries her. Mm-hmm. Um, and this also answers a question that I did have after episode one, which is, wait a minute. What the fuck, where the fuck do Luke's uh, aunt and uncle come from in episode four? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this movie answers it in that uh, his uh, his uncle and his aunt are actually like step family. They would be Anakin's step siblings. No, yeah. no, no, well, no, 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 Owen would be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought that almost took a really dark porn up turn. <laughs> Owen would be Anakin's step brother because he yeah. mentions it i guess you're my stepbrother right? and baru's his girlfriend apparently they're step siblings <laughs> hey you know what good good on whoever the fuck uh Owen's dad is yeah. who's who's so liberal that you know that that his son and his son's girlfriend can live in the house together because they seem young right and they are yeah. obviously supposed to be younger as anakin is younger uh, so this is where you actually get to see the home that Luke is in, mm-hmm. in episode four. They bring back the same music, the John Williams music, that mm-hmm. you get when you're on Tatooine. So it it this part of it does bring back the feeling mm-hmm. of it, which is something I never got in episode one. Yeah, it feels a lot more A New Hope than episode one did. And That's for sure. But then they fuck it all up <laughs> because Anakin has to get on a speeder and fly across the cgi countryside so anytime someone speeds away in these movies it looks like the stupidest thing ever because they'll be like because especially in this one where he's trying to be hella dramatic and he's like i'll be back with my mom and then he gets on the speeder (laughs) (laughs) like you know he was trying to peel out but you can't peel out on a hover bike (laughs) so he ends up yeah he flies across this stupid ass landscape and ends up at a Tuscan Raider camp where uh, Shmi, his mom, still, oh my god, it's still such a stupid name. But where Shmi has been taken uh, prisoner and has been tortured and had all kind, all matter of weird, terrible things. But luckily her. for everyone watching the movie, she's decided to stay alive long enough to see Anakin. Mm-hmm. And have a moment, a last moment between mother and son. This is like a fucking shitty ass version of something that CW's The Flash did in season one. Mm-hmm. Now, if you watch season one of The Flash on CW, it is literally one of the best seasons of any superhero show I've ever seen on television ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it that much. And they cap it off with maybe one of the most heartbreaking endings to a. Uh, to a superhero series season like it you know how like one of the requirements for superheroes has to be losing a parent or losing both parents or lose a loved one yeah and it's like this movie like i mean that that show followed that trope but it delivered the end of that season with such a like just crazy conclusion no, there's nothing that i've seen that's gotten me that hard in the feelings ever since then mm-hmm. and i feel like this is so. This scene is supposed to do that. It really I got is nothing from it because you start thinking about it logically, and for all intents and purposes, she knows right away it's Anakin. It's like how? Yeah, you've been away from him for ten years. You don't know what he looks like. He's completely ignored her for ten years. Yeah, like again, when you're a Jedi, you have to give up everything. But it was just so bizarre. If you were looking to make this the story of how he becomes Darth Vader. And give him a reason to become an evil person that he's becoming. You don't make this the B plot in the movie. No, no, no. This should have totally been the A plot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the entire movie should be Anakin looking for his mother. And the ending of that movie should be what happens at the after this scene is over. Yep. Which is where Anakin essentially commits mass murder for the first time. 
uh, where he kills whip, he kills men, women, and children. He, he kills the entire Tuscan Raider camp, and he admits. And this will piss me off. This is what bothers me. All right, he, he admits to essentially committing a war crime to Padme and crying while he does it, and she's just like. It's okay. No, 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 no. The Pad, Pad, this movie does not do Padme any favors. No. Because she is now an accomplice to his mass murder. And she actually, like, forgives it, dude. Oh, yeah, no. You almost wonder if this is the one thing that made her finally fall in love with him. Oh, yeah. Kill those sand <laughs> Because people. they get fucking married at the end of this movie, dude. Like, well, I wonder what was it that did it when he cold-heartedly killed all those ki- women <laughs> and children in the desert. Or when he cold-heartedly killed all those animals that were manipulated into attacking them in the Colosseum. What could it have been? <laughs> And I, I will say the one thing I really did like about this was where they played the Darth Vader music from Empire. Like, you mm-hmm. know, they, they slowly bring that in, weave it into the score. Yeah. But, oh, God. So that, that after that fucking weird wet fart of a scene took place, <laughs> so we get a... Um, we get our, we get a scene where R two's in the Imperial ship and he actually picks up on um, the distress signal. The distress signal from Obi Wan. He's able to do his R two magic, fixes it up, gives it to Padme and Anakin, who in turn pass along the message to the Jedi Council. The Jedi Council has to fly across the you know has to fly across the entire galaxy to be able to go give Obi Wan support. Meanwhile, Obi Wan at the end of his uh, distress signal has actually been captured. So he gets captured by the Separatist army. Anakin decides that he's going to start listening to the Jedi Council and is like, I can't go save Obi-Wan because I have my orders. And then Padme is like, tough bitch, because I'm going to Geonosis. <laughs> so they, she's like, yeah, you have to protect me and I'm going to go into a war zone. So you have, you better save me. So they fly off to Geonosis and they end up sneaking their way into the Separatist Army's like factory because mm-hmm. I don't know how long they've been set up. But Count Dooku actually, so they, they had this scene where Count Dooku is meeting with the the, the Trade Federation and the uh, Commerce Guild. So they're pretty much all the businesses, right? And they kind of make the Galactic Republic run. And they're all pledging their battle droids and all their different... And this actually answers a question I had from last episode. Remember how I said the Roly bots? Uh, why you don't have an entire army of those to fight the Jedi? It turns out every trade commerce or every trade federation or every guild has their own version of battle droids. And the ones we saw in the last movie were only belonged to uh, Viceroy... Uh, oh my god. Doesn't matter. The Viceroy. And so every other guild has their own version of battle droids, whether it's the Roly bots or the super battle droids. So they're all committing their forces to be able to, to lead a civil war, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where Count Dooku drops a huge bomb that there is actually a Sith Lord by the name of Darth Sidious who is manipulated his way into the Senate and is actually... You know, he's the one pulling the strings from behind. And that Count Dooku is actually bringing together the, the uh, you know, the Trade Federation and everybody to be able to fight back and be able to stop Darth Sidious. And in the complete opposite as to what they did in Episode 1, where they had the very theatrical-looking Darth Maul as the apprentice for, uh, for um, Darth Sidious. In this film, they make his apprentice the very bland white older dark tyrannus <laughs> and he, you know and i love christopher lee like i mm-hmm. he is he is awesome and at one point in time they wanted him they wanted him or peter cushing who you will see later in cgi form in rogue one. Oh god <laughs> both of those guys uh bef- were considered for the role of dr loomis in halloween before they landed on donald pleasance uh-huh. so i obviously like i love these actors but it just it, it he does not feel anywhere near the villain that Darth Maul felt like in the first movie, and Darth Maul was hardly in that movie, mm-hmm. but he had such a presence in it that it felt really important when he showed up. I had a lot of trouble buying Count Dooku as the main villain of this movie. 
Well, no, even in that scene, Count Dooku doesn't even feel like a villain because as he's explaining all this, I was like, he's actually making quite a few valid points. Maybe that everyone should throw in with Count Dooku. And then you find out Count Dooku is actually a former Jedi. So, which then raises a whole hundred other questions. Like, how do you become a former Jedi? Like, I thought you were a Jedi for life, you know? I thought it was like... I thought it was like NWO. Like, <laughs> I didn't think that you can just quit and you're like, I want to retire. And then not only does he retire, he starts his own like private army or some shit. But anyway, I digest. So, the, so of course, we had to have the fun comedy scenes where C-3PO gets his head knocked off by one of the battle droids and it's put onto a battle droid body. And then, but... Eventually, our heroes get captured. Our heroes that were meant to save Obi-Wan get captured. <laughs> and then Padme, Anakin, and Obi-Wan are put in this weird gladiatorial game where they got to fight off all these, all these monsters. And they actually managed to do it using the help of the Force and whatever the hell Padme has. <laughs> and they're able to fight their way out. Which is, this is a really, you know, decent scene. And then... Samuel motherfucking Jackson shows up. <laughs> Hello, motherfuckers. <laughs> well, you know what's really awesome about this? What? <laughs> Apparently, uh, if you if you pay attention to IMDb or if you buy what IMDb says. About his lightsaber? His lightsaber was purple because this is what he demanded. Because <laughs> he wanted to stand out. <laughs> Which is... You know, if you had Sam Jackson in this movie, God, why the fuck not, right? You give him anything he wants. But in a nod to Pulp Fiction, apparently his uh, his the his lightsaber had the words "bad motherfucker" written on him. Are you fucking serious? Just like his wallet in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I want to see this. Are you serious? I don't know where it is, but that's what IMDb says that it was a condition that he had. Uh, if any of our listeners, uh have a tie-in to Samuel L. Jackson, please drop a line to us so we can call him. <laughs> we would love to have that conversation with him. <laughs> That's so fucking awesome, dude. But yeah, and th- this is the scene where fucking Sam Jackson and Yoda show up with the entire clone army. We see the clone army. All your favorite Jedi are there. That guy with the weird fucking eggplant head. That weird fish dude. Those two girls who never talk, but they look like clown ninjas. Like, and this is this is supposed to be the start of the Clone War, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I'll say it's it, it, for for as underwhelming as it is as a war, it is still very fun as the big action set piece of this movie. This is better than any action scene that they tried to do in Episode One. <laughs> what? Or at least, <laughs> but it's the bar as... was set so high in Episode One with throwing water balloons at each other. <laughs> it's at least as good. As the pod race scene from episode one. It was really cool. Yeah. And they, you know, the, the, the Trade Federation mobilizes all their droids and they have this huge, like, battle droid, uh, just, just front line. And then you have those shots of the, of the clone trooper, like, drop ships just flying in and, like, taking out these, these, uh, these tanks. And I'm just like, okay, this is starting to look pretty dope, you know? It take it, it. It's the only shame is it takes so long for this movie to get there, and it's like, I mean, I'll get I'll get into my final thoughts later. But it also leads us to a very bleh lightsaber fight, in my opinion. This is actually my second favorite gonna, scene of this movie, which is the oh, okay. lightsaber battle between Yoda. And Darth Tyrannus? Yeah, that one was cool. Oh, but okay. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the one between and the only reason that one is cool is because we get to see Yoda. Yoda do Yoda shit. Yeah. And I think no one like no one's gonna argue that part. And no one will serve better by the fact that he's a CGI character now than Yoda himself. Yeah, you know? Like you needed him to be able to move around as quickly as he does. And it felt like the budget for their CGI was only spent on Yoda and everything else got like the Well, this over. was the most expensive Star Wars movie until episode seven. Oh, I believe it. I fucking believe it. But you know what? Like if you're gonna fucking skimp on the CGI for the rest of the movie, you put it where it counted the most. And it was in that fight scene. Yeah. 
when Yoda is flipping all over the place and he's like jumping and he's fighting Count Dooku and it just looks so fucking cool. But the lightsaber fight leading up to it with Obi-Wan and Anakin versus Count Dooku. Oh yeah. They they tried to basically redo what they did in the last movie with Qui-Gon and Obi versus uh Darth Maul. It's not the same. It is not. That because to me the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul is one of the best lightsaber fights in the series. Yep. Right? Like it was so good and again, much like Count Dooku or Darth Tyrannus feels like a much, much shittier version of what they wanted to do with Darth Maul. This feels like that shittier version of the lightsaber fight that they wanted to do. I will, however, say that the lightsaber that Darth Tyrannus has is fucking cool because of that crooked handle that it has. Mm -hmm. And I actually wanted that so bad that I like tried to find it online or at every toy store and I could not get one. I'm sure it was so hard to get. Cause, yeah. And I think that's what I really like about the Star Wars, like the, the attention to detail they put to the lightsabers, is that no... Like, there, there's a lot of main characters, but it never feels like their lightsabers are ever too similar. There's always, like, something that makes them stand out, right? Mm -hmm. And Count Dooku is one of those who has, like, such a cool, memorable lightsaber. It's the same thing as, you know, uh, Darth Maul's having the double-edged lightsaber, or even... What's his face? Um, why am I blanking? Uh, from the new trilogy, the villain... Uh, uh, Kylo Ren. Ben Swolo. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, how Kylo Ren has the weird cross-shaped one. You know, like they're they're giving it's telling you a little about a little bit about each individual villain, and it's like their their personality is coming out in their weapon of choice. Um. So yeah, that kind of to to bring our to bring our film, you know, pretty much home. Um. Yoda manages to fight off Count Dooku. Uh, they're able to escape Geonosis, and they're essentially... The Jedi Order has realized that the war is inevitable. Yeah. War is inevitable. They've given emergency powers uh, to... Um, Palpatine. Palpatine. And we are basically getting set up for where the series is supposed to go next. Which is the actual movie where you're going to see Anakin become Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. And the movie, as opposed to the last one that, you know, felt like it was trying to end on a similar note to uh, to uh, New, New Hope, Hope. This one was a much more, you know, there's something else coming up. So it did feel more like Empire in the way that it was ending, setting something up for the next film. Mm -hmm. um, and it ends with the wedding but the it ends secret, on a happy note. Yeah. It ends on the secret wedding of Padme and um, Anakin. And I have to say that the music that they play for all the scenes where they're falling in love, for as much as the scenes don't work for me in the line readings and just like the overall, I don't really buy that they're in love with each other. I do love the John Williams music. That I know, it's great. Um, we it, also get to see Anakin's golden robot arm. Yep. Because he lost his arm when he was fighting Count Dooku. Which, again, it's something that should have mattered or should have felt big. But because he's such a lackluster villain and it was such a lackluster fight, it ends up being a footnote at the end of that movie. Because you're like, oh, yeah, that's the oh yeah, that's the arm that Darth Vader gets cut off. And then, oh, I remember. And then it's like, yeah, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you like Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones? As an adult, no. <laughs> it's it's really weird. I there there's things I like in this movie, and I think uh, anytime I have a movie I I don't like, there's always things that I'm able to find. And I love the Obi Wan subplot, and I love the you know like the the his investigation and finding out about um, Camino or Camino 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 yeah uh, him discovering about Camino and and I and I like the part where. You know, he has that fight with Jango Fett. And, you know, this movie goes to great lengths to introduce Jango Fett and making him seem so cool. And then have him dispatched really easily. I mean, yeah, at least he was killed by Mace Windu, so that was good. And it's like you got to see Mace Windu do something of note in this movie, especially in his first fight. But overall, like, 
between the weird romance scene between some of the CGI, um, like the bad line readings, finding out what this movie could have been, especially how underwhelming the action is compared to how big of a moment this is supposed to be in the entirety of the Star Wars series. Because the Clone Wars have lasting ramifications for the next 60 years of lore. Because they're still dealing with the fallout from what happened during this time, during the Civil War. But, and it could be like, it could be maybe that even maybe this movie needed to be made later, later than 2002, you know? Or was it 2002? 2002. Yeah. So maybe it needed to be made later, but I don't know. There's just something that doesn't give it the kick that it deserves. Um, but, you know, special shout out to Ewan McGregor. I think he did a great job. Like, I feel like um, Christopher Lee, he did as good as he could. But, I, oh, God, dude, I cannot talk about how much I hate the script. Especially when they were writing Anakin. It's like someone never experienced their goth dark phase ever. <laughs> or maybe they did experience like a little bit too hard. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say that. Uh, yeah. I, ca- I cannot say that I like this movie much. Um, I used to love this movie. So it's it's very difficult to now come back and talk about how much I don't like it as much as I thought I did. Yeah. Um, it was highly disappointing. Um, I feel like the stakes are much higher in the new trilogy and in Rogue One. Solo is the one I've never seen, so I cannot compare it to that. Mm-hmm. But it's just, again, much like what you said, I agree. This is supposed to be a moment that feels really big. And it's supposed to be kind of like... You know, one of the greatest moments in Star Wars history, and mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel like that to the point where even the climax of the movie doesn't even feel as important as Episode One. Mm-hmm. And Episode One is the worst one. Like it's supposed to be the worst one in the series, and even this and this one just doesn't have any memorable moments in it. It really, literally feels like the average term paper that you get in a course or that you write in a course like you had a couple weeks to write it you weren't really that interested in the subject material you just had to get it out of the way so that you know you could get ready for the final exam that was coming up you just fart out like a solid b (laughs) paper and you hope for the best you know except this one is unfortunately i think more of a c in terms Mm. of how i would grade it like i still like it there's still parts of it that i like there's just more parts that you hate. <laughs> I just can't come back to it like yeah. I used to. And when Rise of Skywalker comes out, well, A, I'm not going to marathon all the Star Wars movies like I used to because now we're going through it in a podcast series. But I don't think I would be as excited to marathon it anyway because it just has disappointed me much more than I thought I would. What I would... You know, it's really hard because we live in a world where everything's been prequeled and sequeled to death. But I look at a movie like X-Men First Class, one of my favorite X-Men movies of the entire franchise. It is probably my favorite of the franchise. And then the final moments of that movie, you know, is setting something up, but it gives you a climactic set piece where you know this moment is going to have ramifications for the entirety of the franchise. And it gives you why Magneto... And why um, Professor X can never be on the same they side. They remake the scene at the beginning of the original Brian Singer X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it starts with the exact same scene. It's just remade, and it matters so much more. Mm-hmm. Like, when a, when a prequel can work, if you make it matter. Yeah. And I think the biggest problem that we're finding with these is that they don't feel like there's any stakes to it. Mm-hmm. And for the iconography of a character like Darth Vader, none of this is satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like, none of this at all is satisfying to me. Especially, like, even though you know the ending, you know Anakin, and by the end of the third movie, will become Darth Vader. There is so much you can give us to get to that point, the way X-Men First Class did, where you knew Magneto and Professor X cannot be friends. But they gave us so much that it's like, 
it's a slap in the face to prequels, you know? It's it's really infuriating that looking back, the, the all the missed opportunities they had with how they could have delved out this character. And instead, they just focused on making everything connect and remind you, "Hey, this is connected to the 70s. Remember then, kids?" It was yeah. I think I'm honestly starting to think the reason why us 90s kids love nostalgia so much is really because of all these content creators <laughs> from, like, the 70s, you know? Uh, so we'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode. Um, I may not have enjoyed watching it, but I did enjoy having this conversation about it. Uh, I and definitely I... wanted to kind of get out some of my thoughts on this and also just experience the fact it, it, it's me coming to this realization that I wasn't as crazy about this movie as I thought. It's something that probably... I feel better that I did it here than if I would have talked it out off mic. And I enjoyed making Angel feel uncomfortable, making fun of his uh, lame attempts at getting some back in high school. Or, I'm sorry, middle school. Just so you understand, I wasn't getting some in the movie theater. (laughs) Yeah, you were. High five. (laughs) Don't leave me hanging. I didn't even really understand how to talk to girls at this time. (laughs) (laughs) You want some popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> we like to thank everybody who's been uh, interacting with us on social media, who's been giving us reviews on iTunes. For the people who've been downloading all the episodes of our show, we are really enjoying this uh, you know, wave of moderate popularity that we're getting. And uh, we want to do whatever it takes to continue getting up those uh, download numbers. So I don't know who our listeners out in Australia are, but y'all the realists... <laughs> Yeah, we're actually discovering that we have audiences in in other countries, and that's really awesome to us. Um, And I did not expect the reach of our podcast to go that far, so I definitely am excited about that. Our podcast has already traveled to more countries than I have. (laughs) (laughs) So um, next week we're going to be doing a non-Star Wars movie, so... um, uh, please come and join us for another break from Star Wars mm-hmm. before we jump into episode three in two weeks. Yeah, send, make sure to send us any suggestions you guys got. Angel and I have an idea what we want to uh, review, but if you all want to make us suffer and watch something, go for it. <laughs> all right, so uh, thanks for joining us, uh, and uh, talk to you guys later. Later, dudes! <laughs>